This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. As we continue our worship service this morning, you have seen in the bulletin that uh, this is not the regular Sunday that we ordinarily have. We have some special things during the Christmas season, and today I want to share with you something that's special also. That is that I'm not preaching a sermon today, but I want to share with you a few things that uh, have been meaningful to me over the years. Uh, The first of these is a little story about a, a girl named Laura three years old, who listened very intently as her kindergarten teacher told the story about Mary and Joseph. She related how Mary had the baby Jesus and placed him in a manger. And the little Laura interrupted, oh no, no teacher, that's not right. Joseph had the baby, Joseph was the one who had the baby Jesus. Mary had a little lamb. <laughs> well, Children can teach us some things, whether it's accurate or not. Uh, Even though we have happy times and have had happy time during this season, there are some who even still during this Christmas season, uh, Christmas and New Year's coming up, feel depressed. So much has been written about the holiday blues. There could not possibly be anything left to be added Each year we are bombarded with articles that you've heard written or things you've heard about how to combat these feelings that seem to arrive every year. We know we ought to watch our diet, restrict our use of alcohol, not try to overdo our social schedule. All that's good advice, yes, should be taken seriously. Uh, The story that helps me most, I think, is one that involves General William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army. It occurred in the late 19th century when things appeared darkest for his movement. Money for the ministry was very scarce, as it has been these days for charitable organizations. Uh, There were necessities, though, and there was a lot of concern for the morale in the Salvation Army. General Booth, the founder, was asked to prepare a Christmas message for the benefit of all the people in the Salvation Army. And because it was to be sent by telegram all over the world, it had to be brief. So he struggled with the wording. What could he say in such a short form that would be meaningful to so many people? Was there anything he wondered that would make a difference? General William Booth went away to pray. And upon his return, he printed one single word which was to be sent out for his holiday message. That word was others, O-T-H-E-R-S. That was the heart of what he wanted to say. We've heard about miracles during the Christmas season. I was reading in uh, a book put out by Guidepost Magazine, a book that I use my, for my daily devotions. And a few days ago, I, I read a a story written by Carol Kirkendall, who spoke something that may be uh, the feeling of many people during these days. And when we hear about miracles and virgin birth and all that, here's what Carol had to say. 
I have a hard time believing about Mary's pregnancy, said a mother as she snuggled her baby at our Mothers of Preschool meeting. I just don't understand, said that mother. Carol explained, I'm a mentor at that organization. It's a ministry that welcomes mothers of young children, no matter where they are in their life stories or in their faith journeys. We just watched a video about the Virgin Mary who had told, who was told by an angel that she was pregnant and she was going to give birth to the Son of God. Carol said, there was another mother who spoke up in our group. That mother said, Mary's pregnancy is a barrier for me too. How do you explain that? All eyes turned toward me, said Carol. As a mentor, I'm supposed to offer perspective because I've lived through more of life's seasons. My heart was pounding. How would I answer such an important question as that? So I spoke. I don't have a logical answer, I admitted, because a miracle is impossible to understand. But I have my story. Today is the 15th anniversary of my diagnosis of stage four ovarian cancer. I was given a two year life expectancy and a doctor told me that stage four ovarian cancer is not curable. Many people expected me to die. I think I did too. Well, obviously I did not die and I'm now declared cancer free some people call me a miracle. Carol continued telling those mothers, I can't make sense out of that. Why have I survived when so many others have not? I don't have an answer. And I feel both grief and gratitude. Grief and gratitude in my heart. But this is what I've learned about accepting the wonder of a miracle. I don't have to understand in order to believe. Yes, there are miracles that happen, whether it's Christmas time or not. For years now, whenever Christmas pageants are talked about in a little certain town in the Midwest, somebody is sure to mention the name of Wallace Perling. Wallace's performance in one annual production of the Nativity Play has slipped into the realm of legend. But the old timers who were in the audience that night never get tired of recalling exactly what happened. <coughs> Wally was nine years old that year. He was in the second grade, but he should have been in the fourth grade. Most people in town knew that Wally had difficulty keeping up. He was big, clumsy, slow in movement, and slow in his mind. Still, Wally was well liked by the other children in his class all of whom were smaller than he was. Though the boys had trouble hiding their irritation when Wally would ask to play ball with them, or any other game for that matter, where winning was important. Wally fancied the idea of being a shepherd with a flute in the Christmas pageant that year. <clears throat> but the play's director said, no, I'm going to assign you to a more important role, Wally. After all, she reasoned, the innkeeper did not have too many lines, and Wally's size would make his refusal of lodging to Joseph and Mary even more forceful. And so it happened that the usual large audience gathered 
for that town's yearly extravaganza of manger scenes, beards, crowns, angels, and a whole stage of squeaky little voices. Then the time came when Joseph appeared, slowly, tenderly, guiding Mary to the door of the inn. Joseph knocked hard on the wooden door. It was set into the painted backdrop. Wally, the innkeeper, was right there, waiting. What do you want? Wally said, swinging the door open. We seek lodging, sir, said Joseph. Seek it elsewhere. Wally looked straight ahead, but he spoke vigorously. The inn is filled. Sir? said Joseph. We have asked everywhere in vain. We have traveled far and are very weary. There is no room for you in this inn. Wally looked properly stern as he recited his lines. Please, good innkeeper, this is my wife, Mary. She's heavy with child and she needs a place to rest. Surely you must have some small corner for her. She is so tired. Now for the first time, the innkeeper, Wally, relaxed his stiff stance and he looked down at Mary. But he said his lines as instructed, No, be gone. Joseph sadly placed his arm around Mary. Mary laid her head upon her husband's shoulder and the two of them started to move away. The innkeeper, Wally, did not return inside his inn, however. Wally stood there in the doorway, watching the forlorn couple. His mouth was open, his brow was creased with concern, and his eyes filled unmistakably with tears. And suddenly, that Christmas pageant became different from all the others. Don't go, Joseph, Wally called out. Bring Mary back. And Wallace Perling's face grew into a bright smile as he said, You can have my room. Some people in town thought that the pageant that Christmas had been ruined. Yet there were others, many, many others who considered the most Christmas of all the Christian pageants they had ever seen. I'd like to share with you one more thing this morning, and that is a story that was written some years ago by Taylor Caldwell, entitled, My Christmas Miracle. These are her words. For many of us, one Christmas stands out from all the others, the one when the meaning of the day shone clearest. Although I did not guess it, my own truest Christmas began on a rainy spring day in the bleakest year of my life. Recently divorced, I was in my twenties, had no job, and I was on my way downtown to go the rounds of the employment offices. I had no umbrella, for my old one had fallen apart, and I could not afford another one. I sat down in the streetcar, and there against the seat was a beautiful silk umbrella 
with a silver handle inlaid with gold and flecks of bright enamel. I had never seen anything so lovely. I examined the handle. I saw a name engraved among the golden scrolls. The usual procedure would have been to turn it in to the conductor of that umbrella. But on impulse, I decided to take it with me and find the owner myself. So I got off the streetcar in a downpour and thankfully opened that umbrella to protect myself. Then I searched a telephone book for the name that was on the umbrella and I found it. I called and a lady answered. Yes, she said in surprise, that was her umbrella, which her parents, now dead, had given her for a birthday present. But she added, it had been stolen from her locker at school. She was a teacher more than a year before. She was so excited that I forgot I was looking for a job and I went directly to her small house. She took that umbrella, her umbrella, and her eyes filled with tears. That teacher wanted to give me a reward, but though $20 was all I had in the world, her happiness at retrieving that special possession was such that to have accepted money from her would have spoiled everything. So we talked for a while. I must have given her my address. I don't remember. The next six months were absolutely wretched for me. I was able to obtain only temporary employment here and there for a small salary, though this was what they now call the Roaring Twenties. But I put aside 25 or 50 cents when I could afford it for my little girl's Christmas presents. Took me six months to save $8. My last job ended the day before Christmas. My $30 rent was soon due and I had $15 to my name, which my daughter Peggy and I would need for food. <clears throat> she was home from her boarding school and was excitedly looking forward to her gifts the next day, Christmas Day, gifts which I had already purchased. I had bought her a small tree, and we were going to decorate it that night. The stormy air was full of the sound of Christmas merriment, as I walked from the streetcar to my small apartment. Bells rang and children shouted in the bitter dusk of that evening. Windows were lighted. Everyone was running and laughing. But there would be no Christmas for me, I knew. No gifts, no remembrance whatsoever. As I struggled through the snowdrifts, I just about reached the lowest point in my life. Unless a miracle happened, I would be homeless in January, foodless, jobless. I had prayed steadily for weeks and there had been no answer, but this coldness and darkness, this harsh air, this abandonment feeling. God and people had completely forgotten me. I felt as old as death and as lonely. What was to become of my daughter, Peggy, and me. I looked in my mailbox. There were only bills in it, a whole sheaf of them, and two white envelopes, which I was sure contained more bills. I went up three dusty flights of stairs 
and I cried, shivering in my thin coat. But I, made, but I made myself smile so that I could greet my little daughter with a pretense of happiness. She opened the door for me and threw herself into my arms, screaming joyously and demanding that we de decorate our tree immediately. Peggy was not yet six years old and had been alone all day while I worked. She had set our kitchen table for our evening meal proudly and put pans out and the three cans of food, which would be our dinner that evening. For some reason, when I looked at those pans and the cans, I felt brokenhearted. We would have only hamburgers for our Christmas dinner tomorrow and gelatin. I stood in the cold, that cold little kitchen, and misery overwhelmed me. For the first time in my life, I doubted the existence of God and His mercy, and the coldness in my heart was colder than ice. Our doorbell rang. Peggy ran quickly to answer it, calling that it must be Santa Claus, Mommy. Then I heard a man talking heartily to her, and I went to the door. He was a delivery man. His arms were full of big parcels, and he was laughing at my child's frenzied joy in her dancing. Sir, this is a mistake, I said. But he read the name on the parcels, and yes, they were for me. When he had gone, I could only stare at the boxes. Peggy and I sat on the floor and opened them. A huge doll, three times the size of the one I had bought for her. Gloves, candy, a beautiful leather purse. Incredible. I looked for the name of the sender. It was that teacher. The address simply said, California where she had moved. <clears throat> Our dinner that night was the most delicious I had ever eaten. I could only pray in myself, thank you, Father, thank you. I forgot I had no money for the rent and only $15 in my purse and no job. My child and I ate and laughed together in happiness then we decorated the little tree and marveled at it. I put Peggy to bed and set up her gifts around the tree. A sweet peace flooded me like a benediction. I had some hope again. I could even examine that sheaf of bills without cringing now. And then I opened the two white envelopes. One contained a check for $30 from a company I had worked for briefly during the summer. The note said it was my Christmas bonus. My rent. The other envelope was an offer of a permanent position with the government to begin two days after Christmas. I sat with the letter in my hand, the check on the little table before me, and I think that was the most joyful moment of my life up to that time. The church bells began to ring. I hurriedly looked at my little child who was sleeping now blissfully. Then I ran down to the street 
Everywhere people were walking to church to celebrate the birth of the Savior. People smiled at me and I smiled back. The storm had stopped. The sky was pure, glittering with stars. The Lord is born, sang the bells to the crystal night and to the laughing darkness. Someone began to sing, Come, all ye faithful. I joined in and sang with the strangers all around me. Yes, I am not alone. Not at all, I thought. I was never alone at all. And that, of course, is the message of Christmas. We are never alone. Not when the night is the darkest, the wind the coldest, the world seemingly the most indifferent. For this is the still, the time God chooses. Yes, Christmas Day is past, but the love that Jesus has for us as he came to give his life is a love that will continue to brighten our lives no matter how dark they may seem to be right now. May that love be yours today and as we anticipate the coming 